Welcome to the Liberty Leadership and Lies with Larry Linton podcast, coming to you from the Goat Locker Studio in Sevierville, Tennessee. Be sure and check us out and like us on Facebook and Instagram, and follow us on Telegram, as well as on the website of libertyleadershipandlies.com. You can subscribe to notifications on the website to follow the blog there. If you would like to contact the show, just send an email to Larry at libertyleadershipandlies.com. Again, that is Larry at LibertyLeadershipAndLies.com. Now, on to the episode. Leadership. Before we get into the topic today, just a reminder, today is the last day to submit your entry to receive the podcast milestone t-shirt. And in today's episode we will discuss the major politicians and positions of leadership within their respective political parties at the federal level and the state level. We'll talk about how they, not only entrusted with elected office by their constituents, they are also trusted with major positions of leadership by their political parties in each chamber of government, and they all routinely violate their oath of office. We'll discuss how they are leading for purely personal reasons, and not to protect the liberties of their constituents, and not to honor their oaths to the Constitution. Oh, and I just want to mention, yes, Kelly, this is to my cousin Kelly, this is me, this is really my voice. And also, let's all give a shout out to that national hero. Let's go, Brandon. Anyway, let's define a few things first. For starters, we go to the U.S. Constitution, Article 6, Clause 3, which states... The senators and representatives before mentioned and the members of the several state legislatures and all executive and judicial officers, both of the United States and of the several states, shall be bound by an oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. The words shall be bound means there are no ifs, ands, or buts to this. They must take an oath and they are bound by that oath. Not only that, but in accordance with 5 U.S. Code 333, anybody that accepts an office or employment in the U.S. government shall execute an affidavit within 60 days after entering the office or employment, accepting the oath of office. There is even Executive Order 10450, which states in part, whereas the interests of the national security require that all persons privileged to be employed in the departments and agencies of the government shall be, here's the keyword, tricky phrases, reliable, trustworthy, of good conduct and character, and of complete and unswerving loyalty to the United States. I could go on and on about that executor, but I would like to encourage the whole audience to go and research it for themselves. Research everything there is said and written about taking an oath of office. Needless to say, there are very few elected officials that are trustworthy of good conduct and character, and definitely not exhibiting complete and unswerving loyalty to the United States. Look at what constitutes a violation of that executive order, which further reinforces U.S. Code and the Constitution of the United States. And you're probably going to wonder, like I do, how are all the people that are in government, like in Congress, or more specifically, those that are employees of the government, still able to maintain their jobs? They routinely violate the Constitution. They routinely violate their oaths. Yet here we are. 
You know, when I served on active duty, there were swift and fair punishments for people that, quote unquote, broke the rules. It was the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And if the offense was serious enough, they ended up being booted from the ranks. Much like the Uniform Code of Military Justice applies to members of the armed forces, U.S. Code applies to all people in government. Why is there no accountability? I think we know why. It's because the electorate, us, we have become apathetic to what our government does to us and not for us. Remember, our government hates us. Our apathy has emboldened their hatred of us because they know they will not be held accountable for violating their oaths. They will, however, weaponize the FBI to go after parents that are finally attempting to hold local school boards accountable to their employers, themselves, the taxpaying citizens. But from what I just read, we can fully understand that it is a constitutional requirement to be bound by an oath to serve an elected office as well as to be employed by the government, both in Washington, D.C. and in the various state capitals. Next, let's discuss the exact wording of the oath of office for members of the U.S. House of Representatives in the U.S. Senate. It is as follows. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter, so help me God. Keep those words in mind as we go through the actions of the people in leadership positions within both political parties. Next, we'll discuss the oath of office for members of a state legislature. And I'm going to stick with Tennessee, since this is where I call home. From the Tennessee state constitution, it states that every person who shall be chosen or appointed to any office of trust or profit under this constitution, or any law made in pursuance thereof, shall be entering on the duties thereof, take an oath to support the constitution of this state, and of the United States. Here's the words for that oath. I, insert their name, do solemnly swear that, as a member of this, the whatever number it is, of the General Assembly of the state of Tennessee, I will faithfully support the Constitution of this state and of the United States. And I do solemnly affirm that as a member of this General Assembly, I will, in all appointments, vote without favor, affection, partiality, or prejudiced, and that I will not propose or assent to any bill, vote, or resolution which shall appear to me injurious to the people, or consent to any act or thing, whatever, that shall have a tendency to lessen or abridge their rights and privileges, as declared by the Constitution of this state. So help me God. So I read to you both oaths, federal and state level, It's pretty straightforward wording there, don't you think? But, of course, there's the closing of each oath. They close with, so help me God. Maybe that is why they get away with violating their oath so frequently. They do not believe in God. But that's another topic for another episode, though. In today's episode, keep those oaths in mind when we talk about Senate Majority Leader Schumer, Senate Minority Leader McConnell, 
House Speaker Pelosi, House Minority Leader McCarthy, and the U.S. Congress. For Tennessee, keep Speaker of the Senate McNally, who's also the Lieutenant Governor, and Speaker of the House Sexton. We're only going to talk about the Republican side here in Tennessee because they have a super majority in both houses of the General Assembly. Let's go over some of their actions over the course of this global pandemic to see if it meets a couple of tests. The first test will be the constitutionality test, and the second test will be the oath of office test. Before we move on, I'd like to pause for a word from one of the supporters of this podcast. Are you looking for a vacation that offers excitement and peaceful tranquility? You can get both right here in East Tennessee. Sevierville, which is the home of Dolly Parton and the world-famous Dollywood, in addition to the many family-friendly attractions in Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg, provide the fun and excitement to the tranquil backdrop of the beauty of the rivers, streams, waterfalls, hiking trails, and mountaintop views in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Sean Kelly and his family would love to encourage you to consider vacationing here at the Gateway to the Smoky Mountains. While there are several lodging companies you could choose from, Sean and his family have over 75 years of experience in the hospitality sector. If you are looking for a company with hometown values, where quality accommodations and cleanliness are paramount to your overall guest experience, look no further than Smoky Mountain Cabins of Tennessee. Book with confidence and be sure to tell the Kellys that you are their special guest to receive a 10% discount on reservations. Please be aware, though, that some restrictions do apply. So call now, toll-free at 866-289-8818. You can also look at their cabins online at www.smcabinstn.com. So call now and book your vacation here in the Smoky Mountains with Sean and the Smoky Mountain Cabins of Tennessee staff. They are experts in creating mountain memories one stay at a time. Once again, the number is 866-289-8818, and the website is www.smcabinstn.com. As always, be sure and tell the Kellys that you heard about them on this podcast. Once you vacation here at the Gateway to the Smoky Mountains, you will become addicted to it much like Denise and I did. We vacationed here many times when I served on active duty and fell in love with the people, the scenery, the atmosphere, and the beauty of the mountains. I'll throw up a photo on the website of the view from my back porch, and you will understand what I am talking about. On to leadership again, though. Each of the people in leadership positions in Congress and Tennessee's General Assembly has sworn an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America. Let's focus for a bit on the turtle and Chucky Schumer, Senator Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, the former Senate Majority Leader. Senator Chuck Schumer is now the Senate Majority Leader, only by virtue of a tie in the Senate and the tiebreaker going to the heels up Harris. Never ever forget this fact about our installed Vice President. The reason she is in that position is because of her gender and skin color. And that's rich, coming from a party that constantly berates everybody. They say that discriminates on those human properties. But hey, they're Democrats. They know no limits of hypocrisy. Back to the turtle, though. He's now the Senate Minority Leader, and only because of the rampant fraud in the 2020 election. But we've covered that before, and we'll do so again in the future. 
In fact, that is one of the failures to follow their oaths by the turtle and Chucky, to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. That awesome document states that state legislatures, not the executive branches of the individual state governments, the state legislatures set forth the requirements for elections. Article 1, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution states the time, places, and manner of holding elections is governed by the state legislatures. But again, hey, Democrats know no bounds on their disdain for the Constitution as well. It was the job, the duty, the responsibility for every member of Congress in upholding their oath to question the manner in which state executive branches violated the Constitution and violated their state's laws in changing the times, places, and manners of holding elections. Of course, we've covered that before, and we will continue to do so until the situation is fixed. In fact, is one of my policy positions in running for office, election integrity. A return to the constitutional requirements, both state and federal, for conducting elections. That will mean a lot of changes to the way things are going now, but it will go a long way to ensuring free, fair, and fraud-free elections. But let's shift focus to a recent event that involved a theatrical feud between Chucky and the Turtle over the nation's debt ceiling. The debt ceiling debate was an absolute farce. I'm quite sure that most people only considered the personal implications and not the national and liberty implications to increasing the debt ceiling. As I predicted, the old turtle gave in and allowed the money-hungry, our money, not theirs, the money-hungry Democrats to continue to pile the debt under the citizens of this republic. Very few people realize that when the pundits and politicians state that they need to raise the debt limit of the government, that debt they are allowed to borrow up to is guaranteed mostly, almost exclusively, by the wages of every working American. When the usurpers, those new aristocrats in D.C., vote to raise the debt ceiling of the United States government, they are voting to put that debt upon the taxpaying citizen. They are violating their oaths when they pass legislation like that. In Federalist 30, when Hamilton is discussing the taxing power of Congress and its enumerated powers, as well as talking about money and how it is a vital principle of the body politic, he also states, and I quote, a complete power, therefore, to procure a regular and adequate supply of it, being money, as far as the resources of the community will permit. Do you think the resources of our community, mainly through income tax, can support a debt load of over $28 trillion in funded liabilities right now? Oh, let's not forget about the $21 trillion in Social Security liability and the $33 trillion in Medicare liability. And all of those fall far short of the nation's unfunded liabilities, which exceed $157 trillion. So in all told, there's over a $200 trillion debt load on the United States government, and we the people are the guarantors of paying that back. So whenever the aristocrats tell us, we the people, that Congress needs to raise the debt ceiling or catastrophe will ensue, 
they are just buying a little more time until the house of cards that is the over $200 trillion of debt they incurred in our name comes crashing down. They will always pass an increase in the debt ceiling to avoid the crash while they are sitting there in D.C. Our nation's debt-to-GDP ratio right now is 125%. 125%, ladies and gentlemen. Meaning more debt than our nation is producing in revenue. Is that providing for the general welfare of the Union as discussed in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution? Of course, that depends on either Hamilton's or Jefferson's point of view. Regardless of which founding fathers view on what the general welfare meant in the Constitution, our Congress was never meant to sell the population into generational debt like they are doing now, like they have been doing for decades. Because this has all been made possible by the 16th Amendment to the Constitution, allowing them to tax the citizens' income, allowing them an unfettered access to a constant supply of money. Let's pause for a word from another supporter of this podcast. For all my listeners that live in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, I want to give a huge shout-out to one of my all-time favorite car mechanics, and longtime good friend Glenn Moser. He is a supporter of this podcast and the owner-operator of Professional Auto, located at 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha, in Virginia Beach. Phone number is 757-962-0102. Not only is Glenn an extremely talented mechanic, but he is also a great American and a staunch supporter of our constitutional rights. My family and I relied on Glenn and Professional Auto for all of our vehicle needs when we lived in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. Quality work at a fair price and service with a smile are what you will receive when you take your vehicle to Professional Auto. I encourage all my listeners there in the Hampton Roads area to look them up if your car needs work. Again, that is Professional Auto, 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and the phone number is 757 962 Zero two. More on leadership. You know, there's been a lot of debate, laws, and court rulings on the constitutionality of the income tax. Of course, it was the progressives, you know, those liberals that fought for the passage of the 16th Amendment as a way around the Constitution's direct and indirect taxes according to apportionment. Needless to say, though, as I have stated numerous times on this show and will do so until it is repealed, the 16th Amendment's purpose was to grow the size and scope of the federal government, to give it power far outside the guardrails imposed by Article 1, Section 8. Here we are, the elected officials that swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution, which includes the general welfare of the nation, They're giving themselves the power to place the nation and its citizens, you and I, into perpetual debt bondage, meaning our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, for generations. They are definitely not maintaining the general welfare of the Republic. They are maintaining their positions of power and control. So that leads to this question. Are the four people in leadership positions that I mentioned in D.C. from both major political parties 
living up to this part of their oath, bear true faith and allegiance to the same, the same being the Constitution. In their warnings about the consequences of not raising the debt ceiling for federal government borrowing and spending, are they leaving all of the consequences out for a purpose of evasion? Sure, there'll be effects on the interest rates for people seeking new loans or those with adjustable interest rate loans, but what about the long-term effects on the entire nation? Our national debt right now is unsustainable, and those in leadership positions right now are not informing the nation as to why there is so much debt. It isn't because there are low taxes. It isn't because of Trump's tax cuts for the rich. It's because our government spends too much money. The debt is so high because politicians, both on the right and the left, have, just as Alexander Teitler predicted, have discovered that they can vote themselves largesse from the public treasury. Everybody is afraid of the short-term pain that will be caused by limiting the government's ability to tax and spend money without cutting spending. Much like changing lifestyles to become more healthy, in a short-term pain equals long-term gain scenario, the difficulty is endurable because the amount of time that life is better far exceeds the amount of time that life is difficult. That is why servant leadership is so desperately needed in the halls of Congress and on our state houses across the nation. In choosing to be a servant leader, it can be extremely hard to lead people in the right direction. It is also proven that holding elected leaders accountable is a much harder proposition. That is because the electorate has become apathetic to what our government leadership is doing to us and not for us. I was having this very same discussion about apathy with a member of the judiciary, the state's judiciary, the other day. We were discussing apathy versus ignorance. While I agree that most of the population does not have the requisite knowledge to understand their responsibility in our republic's form of self-governance, ignorance of it is not the root cause. The root cause is apathy, as we discuss frequently here on the show. The information about our Constitution is out there. The information about how the framers of our Constitution perfectly explain what the document states is out there. They're called the Federalist Papers. And when we're talking about the Constitution, we're not talking about the Constitution that has been interpreted by the judiciary, but the contemporary writings of the people who wrote that wonderful document is available for every person to read and educate themselves on. It's readily available for everybody to see. So it takes a willful choice to remain that way, indifferent to our Constitution and the limits on government. Apathy is defined as indifference or suppression of emotion. Most people are indifferent to the ways in which our government has ignored the general welfare of their constitutional duty. In fact, they, the new aristocracy, have sought ways around that responsibility for one purpose and one purpose only, to enrich themselves and others like them in positions of power and control. At the end of this discussion... This member of the judiciary and I agreed that it is apathy that is leading us down this path. Apathy that leads to people in leadership positions that we put there in the first place, that erode the protections our Constitution has placed to guarantee our inalienable rights. 
apathy that the usurpers in our nation's capital and our state's capitals bank on to continue selling the electorate into perpetual debt bondage. Apathy that leads the electorate to forego the short-term pain for the long-term gain. And apathy that the new aristocracy counts on so they can violate their oaths for purposes of evasion. Let's pause for a word from another supporter of this podcast. Mrs. A.J. DePriest is the director of Proposal Logic. Proposal Logic is a woman-owned, minority-owned small business located just outside Nashville, Tennessee, serving federal contractors with proposal management and technical writing expertise. Since 2011, A.J. has served more than 150 federal contractors on proposals for more than 200 federal agencies. While average win rates for federal proposal developers rest around 35%, A.J. finished 2020 with an astounding 100% win rate for her clients. So stop losing conventionally and start winning unconventionally. If you are a federal contractor and you are ready to win government contracts, contact A.J. at 615-474-2123. Again, that is 615-474-2123. Or you can email her at A.J. at ProposalLogic.com. Again, that is AJ at ProposalLogic.com. P-R-O-P-O-S-A-L-O-G-I-C.com. Well, enough focus on those in leadership positions at the national level. Let's turn our eyes to the state level here in Tennessee. Lieutenant Governor McNally has finally seen the light, so to speak, with regard to calling for a special session of the General Assembly to address all matters related to the China virus and the accompanying overreach of government at the federal and the governor's level, as well as at the local level, with regards to school boards across the state. Oh, we can't forget the overreach at the federal judiciary level, where a federal judge is making up laws out of thin air with regards to mandates. That judge is acting more like King George or like the sniffer-in-chief Joe Biden himself. There are still some trans-publican senators here in Tennessee that are not on board with calling a special session to address this overreach. I have not reached out to the senator that represents the district I live in about Lieutenant Governor McNally's change of heart yet, but will do so soon. All of my correspondence with Senator Swan indicates that he is quite willing to bend the knee to tyranny as long as he is left alone. You know, that apathy stuff. He's apathetic to federal overreach, despite the fact that he was elected to an office to protect the individual rights of his constituents, not kiss the ring of those in power and their mandates that have a tendency to lessen or abridge their rights and privileges of the people of Tennessee he is supposed to represent. You know, that was that pesky phrase from his oath of office. Why has it taken so long for Tennessee's Speaker of the House and his caucus, and now the Lieutenant Governor, who leads the Republican caucus in the State Senate, to finally understand and follow their oaths? It remains to be seen why they have changed their minds in recent months, but I am quite sure some intrepid young patriot could investigate that. It will probably just boil down to a few things, though. Not calling for a special session of the General Assembly lessens their chances for re-election. 
that is a primary factor in almost every politician's actions while they serve in government. Or it could involve money. That is the secondary factor in politicians' decisions. Or maybe, just maybe, they finally woke up to their duties and responsibilities to be the person that stands in the gap between their constituents here in Tennessee and the headlong race into tyranny that Washington, D.C. is engaged in right now. And only time will tell. Again, this is why I decided to run for office. Speaking of my campaign, please visit my website or my campaign Facebook page, and if you can, donate to my election efforts. It will take a significant war chest to overcome several biases in the political processes here in East Tennessee. I have been told many times by many different people that the political machine here in East Tennessee is much different than any other part of the state or the country. I'm quite sure that if the everyday person, not members of the old guard here in Sevier County, got to know me and listened to my message, I will definitely be able to earn their trust and see a victory in the November 2022 election. But let's get back to the state and those people in leadership positions. Most of the people in elected office right now are only focused on their next election instead of following their oaths of office. In their leadership positions in the state's House and Senate, these people are supposed to be more acutely aware of their duties and responsibilities as outlined in their oaths of office. They are not supposed to propose or assent to any bill, vote, or resolution, or consent to any act or thing that lessens Tennesseans' rights and privileges. What has been happening in our state and in our nation since January of 2020 and the China virus has been a federal and state government that not only consented to any act or thing, but actively promoted and enforced acts and things that have lessened our rights and privileges. Our national and state leadership has failed us. It is time for new leadership. Before we close the show, I would like to leave you with this from God's Word, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. At our Republic's founding, men of great faith fought and prevailed against tyranny and created our Constitution. They also laid the framework within our founding documents to hold people accountable to their oaths of office. Our apathy has allowed people to enter into government employment and elected office that are in it for themselves and are no longer servant leaders or never were. The citizens across the nation right now that are waking up to the theft of our sweat equity and our liberty are seen as foolish by the new aristocracy because they are no longer guided by the faith that carved our country out of the wilderness and built the most free and prosperous nation on the planet. It is time to hold these people in the employee of the federal government accountable for the generational theft of our liberty and our sweat equity. It is also time to hold every elected official accountable for violating their oaths to the Constitution. It is time for the electorate to fully grasp and execute their duties and responsibilities 
to ensure that government at all levels is put into place to protect our inalienable rights, not restrict them or do away with them entirely. Who would have thought that it would take a labor union, that pilot's union, to be the first organization to stand up against tyranny? I pray that all these acts of rebellion against unconstitutional federal, state, local, and judicial mandates continue to increase. Not only in numbers and frequency, but in ferocity. Ferocity in the defense of liberty is a virtue. Until next week, stand in the arena with me. Reveille, it's time to wake up. <laughs>